So if you are a young engineer listening to this podcast, I would say you should be very worried. I do not buy this argument of all will be well. If you are a mid-manager into an IT company, you should be very worried. If you are an IT professional in Indian IT, you should be very worried. So welcome to Outliers. Uh, this is a podcast with Outliers. <laughs> so, and uh, I'm really excited to have uh, Vineet Nair join us today. He he is an outlier from <laughs> every lens that I've looked at through, you know, I mean, over years. Uh, Vineet uh, is known more for uh, the great turnaround uh, at HCL Technologies. Uh, I mean, in more recent memory that I can recall. I still remember... Uh, watching you and hearing about how you would dance down in employee town halls. You were a disruptor and outlier. I had no choice. <laughs> so, welcome to Outliers, Vinny. Thank you so much for inviting me and wish you guys the very best. You guys are doing an awesome job. Thank you. Really kind of you to say that. Um, there's a lot to talk with you. <laughs> but uh, And the reason I was really wanting to have this conversation with you is because I believe since you are now so-called out of the sector for past three, three and a half uh, years, uh, you will have a very different view. While I know you are busy with uh, Sampark Foundation, and we will talk a bit about that too, uh, I thought it would be great to uh, get your insights about what you see now that you have been out of that. Uh, <clears throat> There are lots of burning issues. There are debates as usual. You look at India's biggest technology companies. The question on everybody's mind today is about their future. And we have discussed in the past about the sense of urgency, changing engines of the plane in flight and all that. What is really happening and what is your assessment as we speak today uh, from outside What you when you see? Do you think it is the existential crisis is over or... What's happening? I think uh, if we historically look at IT sector, uh, every five years or seven years, the crisis emerges. And we were saved by what I call a new idea syndrome. So engineering services came up when application was slowing down, we got saved. BPO came in, we got saved. Then remote infrastructure management came in. Each of them created what I call multi-billion dollar industries. So therefore, while the disruption was happening, it was not visible to us, predominantly because the old will go slow down, the new will take off, and therefore the growth kept on happening. Therefore, you did not see a slowdown, and new newer set of people started coming in, and everything was fine. However, all that continuum was with existing skill set, which is, in principle, it was about offshore delivery for onshore work. And India had mastered the art of predictability, quality, and delivery. When the digital opportunities started emerging, they started emerging closer to business. So what really started happening is because of the two recessions we faced, that the customers started getting less interested in cost and more interested in increasing revenues. 
the moment they started getting more interested in revenues, the whole industry of digital, you call it analytics, whatever name you gave it, started emerging. Because the customer was unsure of what he wants in digital and what is digital, he wanted people close to him. That's how an industry starts. And therefore, suddenly the delivery of that capability was onshore and was more consulting-led and was more business-led, which was foreign to the three or four mega transitions which Indian IT had done. So therefore, it, the response to that opportunity uh, from Indian IT would have been disruption, disruption of its own business model. Let me take you back to the birth of Indian IT originated because IBM and HP and EDS and Accenture refused to recognize the disruption called offshoring, which is going to happen to the industry. Because they refused to recognize and they postponed it, a new industry came up, which now is $50 billion. I think we are at the same crossroad right now, where that opportunity is there, it is difficult to address. It appears to be a low margin compared to the margin I have today. And therefore, the industry is giving it a lot of lip service. Uh, but the kind of investment which needs to go in, which is the kind of investment the entrepreneurs in Indian IT made at the beginning to disrupt the offshoring model, doesn't seem to be visible now. There's one other factor which is causing uh, turmoil in any organization is when your current stuff which you're doing, there seems to be a longevity of that. So that means, is the outsourcing model over? The answer is no. Our penetration is still, you know, can go up a couple of basis point. There's still a lot of contracts with IBM ETS which will move up. So can you grow at six, eight percent, 10 percent year on year purely based on outsourcing for the next five years? Maybe yes. The moment that happens and you're saying, I'm making 20% margin, I'm converting 100% of my profit in cash. So my business and my stock, stock price is doing well. Why should I take a risk of disrupting my business model, moving my, so what is disrupting? I, you will have to move your best into a completely new division. The division has to work on a completely new standard and on new salary structures, everything, it has to be. And if you see, if, if that is done, then you are investing in the future. But if my current business model will survive for the next five years, then the incentive structures to suddenly wake up like we woke up in recession or we woke up in Y2K doesn't exist. So therefore, you are seeing a lethargy in Indian IT to act with urgency, hoping that the opportunity will remain there, but acting, believing there's a continuum of the old business model. And therefore, the urgency required to adopt a new model is not to the extent you see in Accenture. Yeah. So what happened is Accenture missed the offshoring model. They, yes. they did a bad job. And they don't want to miss this. So therefore, the attack on the digital model is one of super. I see Accenture all over right now, right? So I advise a lot of clients today. And I see Accenture there. So a lot of new generation companies from East Europe are coming up. A lot of Chinese companies are coming up. A lot of Hong Kong companies are coming up. So a lot of people who miss this offshoring and doesn't have the cash flow, don't have the outsourcing deal, are suddenly latching on to this new as if their life depends on it and are demonstrating significant more traction. Take a exa small example of a liquid hub. 
is created a $200 million revenue, New York-based, only is servicing New York customers. I was recently spent a couple of days with them. They created a $200 million business purely out of digital, out of nowhere. Those guys are, you know, virtually <laughs> nobody. So and similarly, there is there are a lot of other West Coast companies. So I think that's what is happening in an industry. The sense of urgency will only come under a threat or it will come under an opportunity which is so compelling that you have to go for it by giving up your current. And that I don't think most Indian IT companies have not reached that stage to give up the safety and security of today to invest in an opportunity of tomorrow. They are not convinced uh, to that extent. What they did to, what Indian IT did to the incumbents then sure. is what's happening to them now. So they are the... Yeah, I, I, I think so. You, you can see what happened to HP. You can see what happened to EDS, uh, what happened to Capgemini. Capgemini has rebooted, credit to them, but they were almost dead. Or what happened to Accenture? So, you know, the market cap of Accenture fell down when some of the Indian IT companies' market cap was bigger than Accenture. So I think the way to think about it is, and, and this is the way to think about why did IBM, why did HP, why did Accenture miss the board? The reason is the management structure at that particular time was not incentivized enough to take risks on the new. Mm -hmm. So they were holding on because of the either the management structures of consultants and partners in Accenture or the structures around you know, shareholding in HP and IBM. They were not incentivized to take a risk. And, the, and that is what we need to ask within the IT uh, circle today. Then how do we create an, not how do we create an incentive, <laughs> but how do they create an incentive for them to take that forward risk and go beyond the lip service and, and make significant investment? And what a significant investment is not money. So that's the point everybody is missing. Hmm. It, is a, it is to take your best and bright. How did remote infrastructure management came up? Remote infrastructure management came up from Comnet. Right? Comnet as a startup created remote infrastructure management and grew it to multi-billion dollars. How did BPO come up? BPO came up from either Genpak or Spectrumite, right? So these are what I call the outliers who created an industry and then the big companies latched onto them, right? To acquisitions or to whatever you do, and then blew them to, to multi-billion dollars. You need to do the same thing. You need to create an outlier uh, organization which behaves very differently to your organization which works on a completely different principle uh, to your organization. And you need to make a losses for a, some time, but they are not going to be significant. I think that decision to set something out and make it work different to your is what is required. For example, the, how did IBM and EDS miss the offshoring bandwagon? Not that they did not know it. Yes, they knew it. Not that they did not bid for it. Yes, they bid for it. But all their management was onshore, whereas the work was offshore. Yeah. So the Indian IT is caught with a reverse jam. <laughs> right? So, so that's what needs to be done. You, you also, well, like you, you, you started this whole employee first, uh, customer second kind of a thing, which was again quite disruptive idea. I mean, it, it did raise a lot of eyebrows. Like, how can someone say that? What I mean, customer second or employee. Uh, in all this transition and disruption that we are talking about, there are over 3 million people working in the sector. And then you have an assembly line that keeps churning out engineers year after year. What do you make of, of, of them as stakeholders in this disruption? What can they do 
what does this mean for them so if you are a young engineer listening to this podcast i would say you should be very worried i do not buy this argument of all will be well if you are a mid manager into an it company you should be very worried if you are an it professional in indian it you should be very worried and let me tell you the reasons for that <clears throat> this all win for america is a reality as it is win for europe if you see the political elections being fought across the world na- so called nationalistic or nationalistic themes are winning the elections therefore the increasingly where our businesses the customers are demanding localization of service delivery with technologies like artificial intelligence coming in processes new processes like lean coming in and incentive structures of free training costs and free buildings coming in it is going to be possible in the near future where you can deliver from within us or within europe at the same cost as you can deliver from india wow if you take that as a premise you would see most of the indian it's hiring more locally which is what is already happening and this whole movement of people from india to us is going to significantly reduce and the talent shortage in us and europe is going to be full filled up exactly the way indian it filled up the indian shortage of talent by training them and because of the kind of incentive structures which is now being available by the government that they are saying that we will pay you one year salary of a person you go ahead and train them i think that 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 scale is going to tilt on the other side that's one number two since indian it is incentivized around making profits and revenue increase they will move with the trend rather than try and fight the trend so there is a difference between being indian and being indian it right so indian it is rightly so focused on how do we continue being relevant to customers and therefore you will see more and more people announcing which some of the companies have already announced fairly large numbers of local recruitment two things will happen the people whose visa are expiring are going to come back to india and the people who are going to be in india seeking growth are going to be threatened by the people who are coming back now let's look at what's going to happen to the india centric revenue the india centric revenue is going to marginally grow or stagnate it is going to become and the reason i say that is because of three reasons number 1 the business is slowing down number 2 the same artificial intelligence and the same processes are going to help you deliver 15% 20% productivity so you need less people to do that number 3 the pricing pressures are going to force you to try and reduce the number of people to do the same amount of job because of which i would say that despite you know saying that we are going to hire so many new people at a certain time you know that that equation is going to get threatened because the number of new people coming from outside inside and seeking promotion then people seeking promotion from inside to outside there will be a significant competition and then we go to the pool of the young engineers yeah. right who are waiting who have invested in it and saying we want to come in if you really see what in it is growing today in it because of the remote infrastructure management uh, being the thrust of growth largely the jobs available are in operations area right 
Now, the IT companies have figured out that if you want to do a precious job, you actually don't need engineers. You don't even need BCom graduates. You can actually do with 12th class graduates. So Indian IT is forcing it down, forcing their what I call de-scaling de down and trying to see can they get into the pool of people who don't cost two and a half lakhs per month or three lakhs per month, but they actually cost much lesser. So a lot of experimentation is already happening there. So if you're an engineer, just because you've done the engineering, you believe you will be able to get into an IT company and do app development or digital development, you know, it's not going to happen. So we are in a situation which is not anybody's making, but we are in a situation which is tough for a lot of young people coming in. And therefore, I am worried for mid-managers on their growth because competition is increasing. I am worried about young engineers coming into the industry. You will not see it for the next two, three years. But over a period of time, this is exactly, so what was happening? When Indian IT started, then an IT person in US could demand whatever he wanted. And he would get tremendous salary increases and his salary would go to $250,000 or $500,000 very quickly. Indian IT came in and changed all that. So I would say that the professionals have to be clear on the fact that there is a disruption in the marketplace and the IT companies are not on their side. So the incentive which the IT companies had to take a civil engineer from a remote corner and train him and bring him into the IT industry, that incentive is in increasingly going down. They won't even take computer engineers, right. forget. Right, they can get computer engineers by dozens or they can get 12 people at one third the cost. So therefore, if you are this engineer, you have to start taking life back in your control and saying, how do I make myself relevant for tomorrow? So if, if for, for, for a lot of these three million engineers we are talking about, all of them have been trained by Indian IT. They have not self-trained themselves, neither the education institution have trained them. Yeah. So now the equation is different. Now you need to train yourself. You need to figure out a way of becoming relevant. So now you are on your own. Basically. Now you are on your own. I think that is the big news. If you are not careful, because the competition pool has increased. You were only, let's say, a million engineers. Now, you suddenly you are a million engineers plus two million, you know, graduates plus three million 12th pass students. So suddenly you are competing with a set of five million where you are sitting right in the top as uneducated or uneducated from an IT perspective as a 12th pass graduate person is and therefore wanting to be trained and then saying, I can pay him one third salary and train him, why should I train you? So therefore, you have to take responsibility of your own life, train yourself on skills which are relevant, and then go to IT companies and saying, hey, you know what, I have something which you need. The business analytics skills, or the artificial intelligence skills, or whatever skills which I have, and therefore I'm not one of the, I'm an engineer. So an engineer needs to show that he's an engineer now. Right? The engineer cannot walk into a company and say, please train me. Now, therefore, the engineer needs to put a huge amount of pressure on the education institution and saying, hey, I'm paying you six, seven lakhs or whatever, 10 lakhs a year. What the hell are you teaching me? So teach me something of relevance. So therefore, education institutions will up their game. People will take higher ownership. And suddenly, the pool of people who will be available in Indian IT 
ready to deploy in the new age technology will increase and therefore that is the only way we're going to solve this problem. Otherwise, I don't think you're going to see this problem big in the next two, three years, but after that, I'm afraid. I would be cautious if you are a person entering the IT industry with the same assumption as people entered five years ago. No, so the warning bells are already ringing, yeah. but they were ringing a few years too yeah. ago. I mean, and, and, and we, we've discussed that in the past. It, I think it, it's just that uh, the pace of change, uh, which confuses people, and I mean, maybe that explains the lethargy. Uh, companies uh, and even the mid managers that you are talking about, isn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, how can I mean? So, so whose responsibility it is? That question you are saying it is they should own this. See, so one we can have it. So one you must understand with aging, you don't see yourself aging till you meet a friend twenty five years out of school, and suddenly say, "Oh man, you look old." And then he suddenly turns around and saying, so do you. Till that time, you still think that you're Shah Rukh Khan, right? <laughs> so so that, that's true with, with slow aging. But I think there is a moral argument and reality argument. A moral argument on the role and responsibility of companies with reference to its existing employees. Yeah. And then I have a strong view. Yes. Right? But do these companies have a moral obligation to new employees? I don't think so. So, are they responsible to create the employment opportunities for fresh engineers to come in? No. I think these companies should do what is best for business. But once a person becomes an employee, then their moral obligation on that employee is a completely different thing. And you know my views on it. That the moment a person becomes an employee, it is your responsibility to rescale him. It is your responsibility to make sure there are deployment opportunities. And it is your responsibility not to hide behind this performance and all that, you know, all that stuff which I don't believe in. You must understand, in the end, if, if you don't treat one employee fairly, it impacts 99 employees who believe it could have happened to me. Their energy goes down. So to get rid of even that one employee doesn't make sense, unless there is a genuine performance issues, which everybody will say. So I think the companies have to see it from a little longer point of view, what kind of culture they wish to build. And yes, they should cut costs. By all means, they should cut costs. But I think if they emerge as a company which is investing in its people, demanding more from its people, giving people an opportunity and trusting their people, they will last longer. Because in the end, what, are, what business are you in? You are in the business of delivering a unique experience. And that unique experience is only delivered by the employee. The more enthused, encouraged, excited the employee is, the more unique experience you will create. You will not go to a Deutsche Bank or a Bank of America or to Facebook and create, create a unique experience. Your employee doing it. If that employee is watching what you did with Mike or Tom or Sham and he's unhappy with what you did to them, he will not create the unique, enthused experience for you. And that's where the company will fail. So it is not about getting rid of Tom or Mike or John or, or Sham, it is about are you being seen by the people who remain behind in the organization to be an organization which cares for its people, which invests in people, and therefore you as an employee will get up in the night and go work hard for that company so that it, it succeeds. So I, to me, it is obvious that if you invest in your people, energize your people, 
despite whatever is the environment outside, your people will succeed. How did Comlin got created? None of these guys were from remote infrastructure management industry. None of us were. But these guys were, we call them communitarians. These guys, and you know, after I became the CEO of HC Technology, then Anand Gupta became the CEO of HC Technology, then Vijay Kumar, all these are communitarians. So where did these leaders get created? They got created out of a VSAT industry. We were installing VSATs from National Stock Exchange. But the core raw material was so good that from installing VSATs, if you take Vijay Kumar's history, he was in National Stock Exchange up. He was in the national, he was an engineer in National Stock Exchange. If you can grow a person like that and understand the, the potential in the person, give him the opportunity, then he can be a CEO of HL Technologies. So if you have that mindset and invest in your people, they will take you places. What skilling are you talking about? They'll skill themselves. Create that environment, trust them, energize them. Don't treat them as commodities. I think we are getting that wrong, Pankaj. We are, we are getting that wrong. That was our strength. No, I think it's gone. I interviewed a bunch of people over the past few weeks. Uh, some of them had lost jobs uh, due to so-called automation and other issues, but they were asked to go for performance reasons. I sensed uh, a sense of uh, like negative feeling about the overall sector. Forget their own companies. And uh, the, the point that one of the persons was making is, okay, so we were too busy doing what we were told to do. Uh, why were we not told? <laughs> and, and whose job is it to tell or, or the reskilling, whatever you call it, like if you've spent over a decade in a company. I'll tell you a story, Pankaj. There is a very rich man who had a beautiful house. One day he called a plumber. And the plumber came and then the rich man sat him down and told him the history of the house, that how the house has been there for about a thousand years. And how Michelangelo himself had come to the house and painted this, you know, a, a ceiling there, and how Bill Gates had come, and Bill Clinton had come, and Mahatma Gandhi had come. And he went on for an hour telling him the history and the beauty of the house. And it was a very impressive, every nook and corner had a history. And after one hour, the man asked the plumber, what do you think? And the plumber says, that's all fine, but where the hell is the leak? So when an employee walks into the organization, we ask the employee to walk into the organization to fix a leak. But we spend all the time telling him the history and geography of the company and how good we are. That's the fault. If the culture of the organization was mirror mirror on the wall, we are the ugliest of all, and dear Pankaj, you can save us, the employee will walk in with the mindset of, this is my problem. But we behave like this beauty queen, trying to be beautiful to these employees and tell them, find a fault if you can. And they, the employees are completely lost. So therefore, we need to build a culture, which is mirror mirror on the wall, be the ugliest of all. We are going to not die, create that urgency, hand over the chance to the employees. And then if they don't deliver, by, by all means, do what you want to do, but give them a chance. But if you behave like that man who is so full of himself about his house, not telling the plumber where the leak is, and then firing the plumber after one hour because the plumber didn't fix the leak. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> Let me now bring uh, another important stakeholder in, in what is happening, the whole transition and disruption. Uh, first generation founders of these companies. Now, and, and of course the boards of these companies. Uh, we saw uh, a very important and famous experiment uh, 
start uh, when Infosys uh, hired its first non-founder as, as a CEO. Now, you know, I, I, I know you may not want to offer a specific comment, but I'm throwing this as a trend. Uh, Vishal Sikha came on board, an outsider in every possible way. Uh, everybody was watching that experiment, is still watching it very closely. Uh, and the, the, the messaging and the trends that are emerging out of that uh, experience or experiment uh, very distracting because we are discussing everything from his salary to uh, a lot of uh, so-called trivial issues. Uh, but uh, the, the, the deeper uh, the change, the transition, which is painful, uh, at times you even see the board and the founders uh, not side, uh, you know, uh, uh, with, with this new experiment, which is Vishal. Now, the same can be said for other companies also. The question is, how much, uh, what is this founder's mentality? Uh, so, so I, I don't want to comment on the specific situation, but I think we need to understand that one of the big advantages of India is this whole founder culture. Because of the founders, you have a longer-term commitment to the company. I can promise you that the employee first, customer second transformation in its year tech would not have happened had Shiv not backed it 100%. If I didn't have a mandate from him, it would not have happened. And, you know, different people in the board would have different views and all that stuff, just because the founder intrinsically believed, because it was a risk. He believed it would work. I had the mandate to execute it. Otherwise, I would not have the mandate. So wherever we are seeing founders, I think it's hugely positive compared to the American board and the European board who come six times a year, not invest in the business, come and do mumble jumble, and therefore it's largely driven by the CEO, and they don't get the kind of insight which the founders bring them there. That's the advantage of founders. But what happens over a period of time, that the founders who are cutting-edge people, that's how the companies got created, slowly over a period of time start losing relevance. Now, that is the time the founder group splits into two. One who are smart, who decide that we are not in the business of running the business, but in the business of managing our investment. They become what I call managers, and therefore they take a role either as chairman or as not even chairman, whichever it is. They, they are saying, I'm in the business of making sure my investment and my brand uh, remains intact. And the second who wrongly believe that they can continue to run the company. And whether it was with, if you take the DCM days or, you know, a lot of history of India is with a lot of entrepreneurs who did not see themselves lose relevance to the market, uh, give up market share where they had, a, a, they were ahead of the others just because they did not change their role and did not bring the executives which were required to run the company. And once again, I would say Shiv has done a phenomenal job, whether he did with NIT or he did with me or, you know, so, or Benji has done a phenomenal job in all his lighting business, in his oil business, in his technology business. So I think some of these guys figured that out that they need to bring in executives and give them the, the leeway which is required to be able to, to execute. Now there is a third group of uh, uh, founders, uh, which you are seeing 
something happened in the Tatars area, something is, which is happening in Chennai recently, uh, is when the founder is becomes a shareholder, uh, like any other shareholder. Uh, we saw that in Satyam also, you know, when the founder becomes not a majority shareholder, but a minority shareholder. So, 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 so they have the halo around them because they are phenomenal entrepreneurs. They have a halo around them because the reason of existence of the company is because of them, no doubt about it. They have the best interest at heart for the company, but at the same time, they have now become a minority shareholder, right? And the reason they became minority shareholder is because they decided to end cash, right? Some of their wealth. So, the, so they could have stayed invested and remained a large shareholder like, like some of them, but they decided that they want, they do not, they want to end cash, right? Not that they need money, but they, they took a commercial decision of end cashing and therefore they became what I call ordinary shareholders. Now, when that happens, then those founders need to behave like ordinary shareholders, right? Need to have the good for the company, which all shareholders have. And there is where the board comes in. What is the role and responsibility of the board? I think the role and responsibility of the board, and I'm only talking about board and shareholders right now, is to give a patient hearing to all shareholders. But that's about it. The board is the decision-making authority. But they have to give a patient, they have to build a relationship with shareholders, they have to take their concerns on board, they have to address their concerns, means by convincing them, but they have to be independent in decision-making. It's the, like a parent-child relationship, right? That you have to, the parent become old, but the child does take the parent's, you know, views on count. But he doesn't do stuff just because his father says, no, beta, you should not go to America because whatever it is. No, yeah, he takes their views into consideration, but a good son or a good daughter is one who takes decisions based on what looks logical and what looks right. And that's what the board needs to do. And your questions with, with reference to board and CEO, my view is the way India corporate is structured, and it should be structured, that we have what I call a dual control of the company. A single control of the company is dangerous, right? It is, it is good in the startup phase, but in the build phase, it is dangerous. And therefore, a dual control of the company where a CEO has governance with form of a chairman and a board is a good idea. And I always like executive chairman rather than non-executive chairman, right? Because companies of this size, assets of this size, have to have some check and balance so that when two people are convinced, I think that's a great decision because they're not doing pricing discussion, right? They're doing strategic acquisition decisions. They're doing material decisions. So the CEO's job, when you take a CEO's job, it is your mandate to build the consensus with the board for you to execute the mandate. So if you say that you are not able to get the mandate from the board, it is the CEO's job to, to create the mandate. So when employee first, customer second was to be done, or when remote infrastructure management business was to be changed to total IT outsourcing, it was my job to convince the board. I can't say that the board is not convinced and hence they are not alignment executed. Because the role of a CEO is to bring a build uh, argument to the board with powerful arguments, with whatever support you need to convince the board. Because that, that's the way the structure is. So the board is supposed to question 
and the CEO is supposed to convince that this is my idea, please back my idea. And the board takes a decision not just based on the idea, but also on the 10 other ideas you said, and did they roll out well or not. So I think it is very important if you're a CEO to understand that the right to govern you earn from the board before you govern, not after you govern. And therefore the board is of utmost importance, both to keep shareholders at arm lengths engaged, but at arm lengths, and to make sure to keep the CEO honest so that the CEO sells his dream, demonstrates proof points, and sells a bigger dream, demonstrates proof point, and sells a bigger dream. That's the way I think it needs to work. Just a couple of more questions, and the final one will be about what keeps you busy now. <clears throat> what I find really refreshing about the things that you shared is that your views have not changed, uh, Vinny. With what happens is uh, when, when leaders get out of a sector, you suddenly see them uh, sharing stuff or talking things that they did not do when they were actively. <laughs> I think in your case, I, and with that, that's very reassuring to know. So, I mean, you are clearly an outlier <laughs> in that sense. Uh, before we move to uh, what keeps you busy, uh, existential crisis for the sector very clearly. Uh, what do you think is the future of Indian IT from I where we are? I think the future of Indian IT is bright because all of them are my friends. If you think I'm talking honestly and bluntly to you, you don't even know how I, <laughs> how we talk within. I, they are all concerned. Uh, they are very bright people. Uh, and they will get it right. They need a shock. All of us need a shock to wake up to the reality. See, if you see from their point of view, it's a chicken and egg situation. This chicken is delivering eggs at 20% margin, 100% cash flow. If you look at your booking pipeline, it is looking into multi-billion dollars. You are completely engaged in fighting those deals. All is looking good. And this peeny little $3 million, $5 million digital deal comes in. So there are either this three, five million dollar digital deals or a journalist or an analyst. <laughs> you know, they are, those are the only people who are, yeah. who are, you know, picking Leo. Yeah. And you're saying, yeah, on one side, it's a billion dollar deal. On the other side, what should I do? Some of them will figure out that you have to discover the art of doing both. And you have to discover the art of doing both by breaking the company, mm -hmm. not breaking it uh, physically, but breaking it internally. In, and divisionalizing it. Sure. So that you put some money, because you have a lot of money, you put some money at play with the best and brightest you have. And then incubate it over a three, four, five year period for them to take it starting a hundred million dollar to a billion dollar. That hundred million dollar to a billion dollar, don't try and oversee it. Let your best and brightest run with that. For them, the three million, five million is very important because it is happening at Deutsche Bank or Bank of America, or at Facebook, or at Twitter. Once they take it to a billion dollars, then integrate it back into the organization, blow it to $10 billion. Mm -hmm. See, Pankaj, in any change, there is a structure. HCL transformation was because of two reasons. One, because of the employee first, customer second. The second was we took the remote infrastructure management and converted that into total IT outsourcing. And it was done something similar to what you just mentioned. Similar. Incubation. So we divisionalized it, we incubated it, we, we ran it as a separate division, 
and it ran on a completely different principle to the rest of the division. When it had reached a billion dollars, we sucked it inside and we blew it, right? Blew it means yeah. then, it, then we started doing billion dollar deals. So I think from a pure management perspective, you can either think of being in the business of managing. See, in, this is an important point. When industrial era came in, the productivity and per GDP grew tremendously because we developed the art of getting more from less. That was the idea of a manager. The manager's job is to get more from less. With the digital 2005, 2010 onward, digital coming in, managing is not required because resources are abundant. Getting more innovation and creating higher impact from less is where the trick is. That's the reason you see Facebook and Twitter and Apple, and you don't see the GEs and HPs and IBMs of the world anymore. It's because the whole emphasis is on innovation. And therefore, if you have moved, then you don't need managing skills. You need leadership skills. What is leadership skills? Leadership skill is democratizing the organization, inspiring people to do fly kites, right? Do stuff which they can't believe. That's the leader of tomorrow. You can't be the manager of yesterday. So I think the Indian IT CEOs are quite smart, and I hope that they will understand that they need to move away from managing the old into a leadership role where they need to manage with their left hand and they need to create with their right hand by inspiring people to go climb Mount Everest. And once it gets to a billion dollars, integrate it and then pump it through its customers and become the dominating you know, entity to do that. That's the only way at least I would do it if I were doing it now. That's the way I've seen historically different people doing it. So you are not doing that anymore. <laughs> then what Thank God doing. for that. You can comment about it, but not be held responsible for it. I've been waiting for this. Pankaj, I've been waiting all the time. When people will not tell you, you, you said so one quarter ago. You said so two quarters ago. Oh, life is so blissful. How blissful is that? I mean, I, I just, uh, I've, I've been, I mean, not been following it very closely, but uh, tell me what keeps you busy now and... I think in 2005, me and my wife decided that we want to uh, invest significantly in giving back to our society what we had got from our society. I come from a small town in the foothills of Himalayas, and my mother, uh, my father was unfortunately passed away early, and my mother always believed in charity irrespective of how much we had. And the reason she kept on saying is that unless we, it's like a plant, unless we water it, the tree will not be there for my sons to see. And if my son is not going to plant a tree, then his son is not going to see it, or his daughter is not going to see it. So therefore, purely that we've been very fortunate to, to at least I've been very fortunate to have an excellent run in uh, corporate life, made a lot of money. In 2005, we started it. Fortunately, unfortunately, I, I came into HL Technologies, and therefore my wife was running Sampak Foundation for quite some time. But we were not creating an impact. We were cutting checks and making grants, but not really making an impact. So when I came back to Sampark Foundation, actually I've been discussing with Shiv from 2010 that Shiv, I need to do this. And Shiv has been hugely supportive of it. But I managed to come out in 2013. We said, we want to be in the business of innovating 
frugally innovating for large-scale social change. We picked up education. There are 146 million children in our country in 740,000 village schools. 80% of them in grade 5 cannot count beyond 99. And 76% of them cannot construct simple sentences. This is the biggest problem of our country when this pool gets into, you were talking about engineers in employment, I'm talking about this is the biggest challenge our country is facing. If we don't fix it, it's going to fail. When I looked around and saying, how many people have attempted to solve this problem? Many. And many kind-hearted, warm-hearted, very people have tried to solve it. But I was stuck on innovation. As employee first, customer second was the core idea on which its transformation uh, stuck. There has to be a core idea on which education transformation will appear. So we, we went to villages, we went and saw something which sparked my imagination is when I went into a village and I saw people watching a film on two bamboos uh, and with a generator and Shole was going on. And everybody was immersed and they forgot their hunger, they forgot their leaking roof, they forgot their illness, they forgot that there is no water and electricity in the village, but they were having an immersive experience. So my point was that if I could bring that immersive experience to the class, maybe the learning outcomes will dramatically change. And then I came across this Vidya Balan, uh, Munna Bhai, Good Morning, Mumbai. And that was a very inspirational voice. And I said, okay, now if I can get that voice, put it in an audio box, because there's no electricity in the villages, and that audio box will run for 15, 20 days, or maybe a month. And put song, dance, and make it an immersive Bollywood experience in an equivalent voice like Vidya Balan. Bring it to the class and teach maths and English along with three-dimensional tools. Would I be able to transform the experience of the classroom? The answer was yes, we could. However, how do we do it? So I went to the chief ministers, fortunately because of HCL, some credibility was there. Some people still believe in me, not all, Pankaj, you don't. So, I went and knocked at the doors of Chhattisgarh Chief Minister and Uttarakhand Chief Minister and saying, give us an opportunity of transforming the entire state. And fortunately, both those chief ministers saw the opportunity and therefore we entered and we transformed the entire primary education by providing kids teacher training. We train one lakh teachers a year uh, and owned the whole program end to end to bring about a significant change in learning outcomes. So today, the last learning outcomes have just come up three days ago, which we submitted to Chief Minister of Chhattisgarh. I'm meeting him on 6th. 86% of our children can do division and multiplication in grade 2 and can construct 100 English sentences with 500 words in grade 2. That's the amount of change which happened. So we have 76,000 schools in four states today, uh, Jharkhand, Haryana, Chhattisgarh, and Uttarakhand. And we have 70 lakh children in this program. And uh, that's what keeps me occupied. And I'm, I'm so glad, Pankaj. I'm, I'm so happy. I'm so happy that it I'm shows. doing this. I, I would not do anything else. I would not do it. This is giving me so much joy. Awesome. Avinit, great talking to you. And Godspeed with what you're doing now. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks and all the best. Thank you. Thank you and all the best to your listeners. I mean, uh, although I was very negative on the future of Indian IT, but you must understand that the master of your life 
the day you make it to be yourself, nobody can stop you from achieving what you want to achieve. So do that. Forget the industry. Take control of your life. Well said. Thank you, Vinit. Thank, Thank you. you.